Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. And God, we, we just recognize the authority that it has. And we, we come to your word with an open heart. We come to your word with a, with a humbled heart. We ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask that you would make the word of God alive to each one of us. Father, we pray that you would help us to walk out and obey what we read, that it would not be merely, be merely words on a page um, or something that we studied. We're not trying to get smarter, Lord. We, we want to get closer to you. And so we ask for the grace to walk out what your word says to us. We're thankful that you left your word in, in our hands, that we could know your will and the prescription uh, for the situations that we face. And we know that we may be far removed from the culture and the context of much of what it says uh, to, to those that were reading it or experiencing it, but we know that your word is alive and active for us today. Help us to extrapolate the principles to rightly divide and also to obey. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to this time together. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody, wherever you are, just go ahead and say amen. Amen. God bless you. It is a beautiful day today. Uh, as you're joining us, I want to make you aware that we are today looking at Deuteronomy 33, 34, and we actually will get to Galatians chapter 6, and that I'm looking forward to actually is probably where I'll park a little bit more today. As we study Deuteronomy chapter 33, what we know is that Moses uh, has actually already died. We know that Joshua has succeeded him at this point, but as the book of Deuteronomy goes, uh, there's somebody that it seems like, if you read the commentaries and you just consider the, the last few chapters of Deuteronomy, that Moses has already died. This is giving his uh, some of his final words, but they are recorded, not necessarily written of his own hand. And we know that from what we actually read in Deuteronomy 32, 33, and 34. There are just mentions of that. 33, Deuteronomy 33 is where Moses... Uh, blesses the tribes of Israel. And I'm just going to go ahead and read some of that just to just to make some comments. But this is what it says. This is the blessing, Deuteronomy 33, 1, that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. Uh, again, he's already died at this point. So this is what was recorded and completed the book of Deuteronomy. And he goes on, the, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Sair. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slope. Surely it is you who love the people. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet, they all bow down. And from you receive instruction, the law that Moses gave us. Now, this is a um, this is a reflection of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Moses was given the law. It was scribed by the finger of God on Mount Sinai. And he's, this is, he's going backwards in order to give the blessing to the tribes of Israel. And he goes on to say, the, lo the law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob, he was king over Jeshurun 
when the leaders of the people assembled along with the tribes of Israel. <clears throat> Let Reuben live and not die, nor his men be few. And this he said about Judah. He goes on to just bless all of the tribes of Israel. I believe there's one of them removed. And it's important for us to realize that blessing people, also children, was a part of the Hebrew culture. Now, I think sometimes we don't really have this as a part of culture today. It depends on where you're from, depends on what part of the world you live in. But this could be something far removed. We actually read in Genesis uh, chapter 27, is it? I have it written down here. Genesis chapter 27, uh, we see that Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his sons. This was something that they actually anticipated and looked forward to as his, as his children, one being the firstborn and one the second. Now, there's a story behind that. But needless to say that this was actually expected and it was a part of their culture, that the father would bless the sons and bless the family. In Genesis 49, we read where Jacob blesses all of his sons whose name become the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, which we obviously read about here before Moses dies. He blessed um, the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, which reflects back on Genesis chapter 49. And I just wanted to bring up a point about this because there are a lot of things that could be said contextually, historically, but that there's there's this concept of blessing. I actually didn't understand the concept of blessing until um, I adopted my, my wife's older boys. When I got married, I was 24. My wife was 27. She had a nine and 11 year old son. She was a single mom, teenage mom. And so when we got married, they were pretty much half grown. And I adopted them and at 24 years old, didn't know how to raise kids, obviously, especially half-grown kids that were not mine. I was a step-parent. And so you read books and you pray, you pray like your life depends on it because it does, because you're still a kid trying to raise kids, right? That's um, amazing. And as I would read through the Old Testament, I would see this concept of blessing. And one of the things that people would do is they would lay their hands on their children. You see that in Jesus's day too. Jesus would bless the children. He would lay his hands on the children. And there was, there was something powerful about the blessing. It wasn't just, it wasn't just touch, but it was impartation. In Hebrew, the word for ordain means to fill the hands. And I've always thought about um, when someone would lay their hands on somebody, they would impart as it were, what, what their hands were filled with. And it was more of a metaphor or a spiritual concept. But I started to understand the term blessing and what it really meant to, to give your blessing to those that were in your care, those that were under your authority and under your charge. We see that here. This is a very serious blessing of the Lord, so to speak. Moses is not just like any other person per se. I mean, he was the bringer of the law. He established the covenant of the Lord as God gave him the, the stones that were inscribed with the law. God used him as a mediator of the covenant, which he established with his people, Israel. Moses played a very significant role. And so this impartation of blessing would be a generational echo, so to speak, over the nation of Israel and its many factions within the tribes. However, I'm just extrapolating the concept of blessing. And I, I believe that under our authority and under our care, if you're parents um, or if you have people under your charge, under your authority, that you actually contain this ability 
to bless those that are in your care. I think it's a it's not just merely a, a part of Hebrew culture. I think it's a it's part should be part of spiritual culture that those of us that follow Jesus, those of us that are followers of of God, that we actually understand the concept and therefore we walk with this utter responsibility to bless what is in our care and what is in our charge. It also means that we warn those that are under our care and those that are under our charge. And we obviously do this by the word of God. It's not something that we get to do in and of ourselves or whatever we want to say or do or, or wishful thinking, but rather it's a, a blessing would, was something that Moses pronounced. It was both um, a proclamation and a prophecy. And that if those who received the blessing chose to walk in obedience to God, they would receive of what that actually was. When I was raising the two older boys, I remember when uh, my oldest son turned 18 and the Lord gave me an idea to put together what I'm calling a man book. And I had many men who he knew write a letter about what it meant to be a man of God. And then I also wrote actually a, a mini booklet about five things that a man of God does and five things that a man of God is. And I wrote this out and I compiled this all together and bound it in a book and gave it to him on his 18th birthday as sort of a rites of passage. And, and me and his biological father went out to dinner and then I gave him this book. And when I laid my hands on him and his biological father laid his hands on him, I just remember the Lord prepared my heart to give my son my blessing. And when we when, when it came to that moment, all I can tell you is I sensed the Holy Spirit in the preparation of that moment and during that moment. And there was something that shifted in my son. And, and I think that we have, in, in our not understanding the concept of blessing, we have withheld at times what God has put inside of us to give to those that are under us, both our natural kids and our spiritual kids, as it were, those that God has entrusted to us to care for. And I just want to encourage you today that this is not merely a story we read. Certainly, this is a macro story in the plan, the big plan of God. Uh, Moses played a significant role. But there is something spiritual there for all of us that as we consider those under our care, that we bless them in Jesus' name. We prepare our hearts. We ask the Holy Spirit to give us words. And we carry those words so that the next generation can receive them and walk out in obedience to God, what he has for their lives, that we actually carry a peace that is meant for not ourselves, but for them, this being the blessing of the Lord. And I simply just wanted to bring your attention to that and, and remind you of it. We go here in De Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is where Moses, uh, at least the account of him, where he dies, he, he climbs Mount Nebo and we can he can see the whole promised land. God actually shows it to him. I want to read that part to you. It's a very interesting passage. Here in Deuteronomy 34, then Mo Moses climbed Mount Nebo, if I said that right, from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishka, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land of promise from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali and the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. 
and God himself buried Moses, which is an interesting thing. He was 120 years old, and the Bible says right here that he was full of strength and his eyes had not failed, which means he had full eyesight and full physical strength, which is amazing. I would love to get to 120 and have that be my testimony. But essentially, God took Moses's life. There's more to the story later on in the Bible that talks about the death of Moses, the body of Moses, the burial of Moses. But what's interesting here to me is that Moses for 40 years was in the wilderness with the people. God, he carried the promise that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He carried that for the people of Israel. He labored with the people in order for them, this new generation, to rise up and to inherit the promise which God had foretold from long ago. Moses's role was to carry that promise for and with this generation so that they could not only see it, but they could enter into it. I was thinking about how God sometimes allows us not necessarily to inherit a promise, but to carry a promise. And this is what prophecy can be like as well, is that God will often speak to us. And we need to remember this because not all prophecy, not all words that God will give to us that cause, he wants us to carry are for us. They're actually for us to carry for our kids or for others. And this is something that in our quick, fast society, our 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 microwave, instant gratification society, the way that we live life, the way that we're conditioned to live life, we don't always really get, nor do we appreciate, but that we actually play a part in not only receiving, but also carrying what the next generation is called to hear and walk in. And I want to remind you of that as well, that God has put stuff in you. God's put something in me that I may never see. I may never get to taste of its fruit, see its fulfillment, but I get to give that away to the next generation. And so the question for us is, how are we doing that? How are we positioning ourselves with others that what God's put in us, what he's called us to carry can be given to them? And maybe our role is simply just to get it to the next generation that they could do with it what we'll never be able to do. Moses got to see the promised land, but he didn't get to walk in it. He didn't get to see the fulfillment of that. He simply got to bring them to the place where they could see it and enter into it. And that, to me, is something that we can get excited about as well, even if we don't get to experience everything that we would like to. I want to just flip over to Galatians uh, chapter 6, and I want to close our time by talking through a little bit of this, just the first, like, six verses. But if you're not familiar with the letter of of the Galatians here, Paul wrote this letter to believers in uh, the Galatian region uh, to counter many claims of Judaizers. And these Judaizers were telling the Galatian believers that they must be circumcised and keep the whole law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, I won't get into uh, the particulars of the law and uh, what it is that we're supposed to still do. We know this. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He makes our spirit alive. From the old covenant to new, it speaks of him writing his law on our hearts. We have a brand new heart. He writes his law on our hearts. So no longer are we trying to externally keep the letter of the law because internally we are compelled by the truth of the law in this, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength and to love love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the essence of the law in its external code. 
And what now was external has been made internal for those of us who believe. There were those in the first century and beyond that came into the church and sought to get new believers and those that were walking in the freedom of Christ to actually go back to the law or the external aspects of the law, which Jesus had fulfilled, in order to make them think that if they did those things, that they would maintain their salvation, so to speak, that Christ's death, burial, resurrection, his sinless life, his sinless sacrifice, and his resurrection was not enough in order to save us, and that we actually still do need to um, externally, so to speak, adhere to the law. And and this this is an interesting thing because this was a problem that they faced, and I think even now there's some of this uh, still today. And so that's the context of the letter, and something we it's vital for us to understand. But Paul says this after five chapters, we go into chapter six, verse one, and this is what Paul says to the Galatian believers in chapter six. He says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Verse 7, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary. And doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you know me well enough, you know that I say things like the only way you lose is if you give up. I get that from scriptures like this, right? So I'm always encouraging people not to give in or to give up. You may have fallen down, but you don't have to give up. So I get that from passages like this. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us <clears throat> excuse me, do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Paul here makes an appeal to Christians regarding the way that we view and handle sin among us. Notice this in verse 1, though. He actually goes as far as saying, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin. Now, before I say anything else about this passage, which I'm going to give you what I have five principles, and they're going to go like like a shotgun. I'm not going to elaborate a ton today, but I want to make sure that I get these out, what we read here. this All of what I'm going to say Um, is predicated on this. If someone is caught in a sin. Now here's one of the perils of our time, especially in church, that we've got to be very careful of, is that we accuse people of sin, which is ambiguous at best. It's not a clear offense. I've seen this again and again and again. It's perceived offenses. We are accusing others of something we think they did. Now listen, if somebody hits you, they clearly did something wrong. If somebody says something to you, they clearly did something wrong. But we cannot call sin against others uh, that's based on our perception. It has to be actual. He says when you catch someone in a sin, this has to be clear. If there's ambiguity, we've got to be careful. Because then what we do is we presume the motives of other people. We prescribe sin or we ascribe sin to someone when they maybe haven't done anything wrong. And this is a plague that we're facing is that we're calling sin out in each other where we're not caught. It's not 
clear. So Paul says when someone is caught in a sin, I, I don't want anything else to be in our mind other than clear sin that can be validated by others. This is what he's talking about. Not perceived things, not possible things, not maybe somebody did something to me, but actual things where there's evidence behind it, right? Somebody actually offended another, somebody actually sinned against someone or in some personal way, perhaps. But there, there are several things. If we're going to handle sin in others appropriately, there are things that Paul says to the Galatian church that I think we can extrapolate today as principles for the way that we would handle things as well. Number one, we must have hearts to restore. What does he say here? He says, you who are spiritual should restore such a one. You who are spiritual. Spiritual people restore others. If we catch somebody in a sin or we see someone that sins, whether it's against us or others, that information is meant to be used to bring restoration. Ultimately, if we do not use what we see and what we know about another person's life in order to bring about restoration, it will potentially cause something in cause sin in us, which is obviously not okay. So we have to have a heart to restore. We can be prone to judge. We can be prone to label. And that is not why we're allowed to see the shortcomings or the wrongs or the sins of others. Here the word restore means to mend or repair. And the context that this word restore was often used would be to set a bone, right? A bone was broken and it needed to be restored. So when Paul uses this word, you see someone caught in a sin. You need to be a person that wants to see what's wrong right. That has to be the disposition of our heart. And what is behind our eyes when we see other people doing things that are wrong? If it's not, we're, we're probably going to allow the sin in others to produce sin in us. And that actually is what Paul speaks against. It's what Christ speaks against, not to label others, to judge others, to see others through the eyes of, of offense ourselves. And this is the heart of Jesus. The second thing we see from Galatians 6 is we must be gentle. Paul uses this term, a spirit of gentleness. That's why Jesus gives a process of how to restore people in Matthew chapter 18. If someone sins against you, now let's just broaden that for a second and say it could be that if somebody sins, maybe it's not against you, but you see that. If someone sins, you go to them. If they don't listen to you, you bring someone else. If they don't listen to you, you bring them to the church. Now again, this is a clear sin that can is not ambiguous or just perceived, but it's absolutely evidential. There has to be a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because we can be prone to get offended. And that's why he says this part, and I'm saying no, principle number three, we must be careful. He goes on to say, but watch yourself or you may be tempted. Have you ever gone to confront somebody, even in love, and their response potentially brought out some anger or some sin or reaction in you that wasn't in keeping with how Jesus calls you to be. Like he says, be careful, right? Have a spirit of gentleness in what you're doing and how you're doing it, but be careful because what they do, how they respond initially could potentially touch you in such a way where you're, you get offended and you get drawn into that particular that particular context that draws stuff out of you that's not in keeping with even even wanting to bring about restoration in a person. 
and I've been caught up in this, right? I've brought things to people before and a principle that the Lord taught me, and I don't remember when this was, maybe a few years ago, I had, I had been sucked in to that person's toxicity, okay? And uh, regardless, maybe that person wasn't entirely toxic, but in that particular in that particular area, there was something wrong that I saw. And so when I went to bring that to their attention, all of a sudden I became the problem of their issue because of the way I said something. Well, it's like, well, you said this and you said that, and, and we're already outside of the actual issue itself. And if I'm not patient and I'm not gentle in wanting to bring about that mending of a broken bone, then I can get drawn in. And now the issue that we're talking about is no longer the sin that I originally came to confront them on or talk to them about, restore them in uh, or away from or get them free of. Now we're talking about potentially the way that I did something, the way that I said something. So being gentle and being careful is so important in how you handle things. Because if you don't, then you'll become a part of... Of, of, of a new crop of potential sin, as it, as it were. And now we're not even dealing with the issue at all. And I think if you've been around long enough and if you're breathing and you've ever tried to talk through something with a person where there was potential sin or an issue needed to be talked through or forgiven or restored, you know exactly um, what I'm talking about. This is a patient process. Restoration takes time. You have to remember that. Maybe you're facing an issue with people or maybe you're going through one and somebody's being patient with you. You just got to remember, if you were to have like a, a serious accident, you go to the physical therapist, you don't get that your bones, your muscles doesn't get set right overnight. It takes time, right? It takes time to be restored. And I think we've got to understand that. I would say that as as a church, we need to continue to work on our process of restoration. You know, as a Pentecostal, I certainly believe in the miraculous power of God. I believe in his deliverance. But I would tell you that true deliverance from the Lord is 80%, you know, casting something out or or forgiving something and or sorry, 20% is casting something out and dealing with something in the moment, but 80% of our deliverance is actually discipleship. And one of the reasons that we can get free and not stay free is is because we don't get further discipled, right? This is the watering of the new plant so that the planting of the Lord can grow and the new fruitfulness can come. I see a lot of people get free but not stay free. And that has a lot to do with not following the process of restoration. So you don't just dislodge, you know, something. You have to actually put something new in its place, water it, and see it grow. And so we've got to be careful when we approach issues of sin in one another, We've got to know what we're doing and what our goal is. Our goal is restoration. It's not just to overnight in one second have somebody confess and repent and then everything's solved. That's not the way that it works. It's a process by which people's lives are transformed and changed for the glory of God. And if our we're going to play a role in that, we can't get drawn in to being one of the reasons why a person is hurting. And so this is this is just... Um, obviously good wisdom here that Paul is talking about. The other part I, I would say, principle number four that I wrote down from here is we must be willing to help. He goes on to say, carry each other's burdens and in this, in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you're going to speak to something in someone, you've got to be willing to help them, right? That's just good sense to me. I remember um, my wife and I, 
were sitting with a couple one time and they were sleeping together. They weren't married. They were sleeping together. They were living together. And we, I just believe that if you're going to live like the world and, and, and want God's blessing, that you're deceived. You're, you're not going to get God's blessing if you live the way you want to live. And so my role wasn't to judge them, but it was to confront the situation so that they could come out of that bondage and into God's blessing. What we do know is that Jesus restores our life. I wasn't there to, to judge them or label them, but my wife and I sat with that couple and we told them, hey, what you're doing is not in keeping with who God has created you to be. And so um, we believe that you need to step out of this situation if you want God's blessing to rest on your future marriage, which is what they were going to do is get married, then you guys got to move away from this. And so we actually, instead of just telling them what they needed to do, we offered them a place to live. Now we did that with a few people. This particular couple took us up on that. So the, the gentleman moved into our downstairs and uh, we didn't charge him anything. He just got to live downstairs until they got married and then he moved out. Um, we offered that to another couple and they denied that opportunity. And I never saw him again really after that. But what I've learned over the years is that if you're going to speak to something, you've got to be willing to help people or else what are we doing, right? We're just a voice, but we've got to be hands and feet as much as we are a voice. And this is where it's costly to be the body of Christ is that we're not here to judge each other. We're here to help each other, right? You may be caught in a sin. I may be caught in a sin. There might be some issue. Now, if it's if I say I'm caught in a sin, it better not be something that disqualifies me from ministry. Understand what I'm saying. There's levels of, of, of sin in terms of consequences between one another. You know, God sees sin all the same, but to us, there are certain, certain consequences that will befall us depending on what kind of sin we're talking about. But when we see sin in, in others, we've got to understand that knowing that information and having that um, insight into someone else's life is very delicate. Do you remember when Jesus says, uh, do not judge or you too will be judged? He's talking about a sense of finality. He's not talking about do not judge behavior, do not open your eyes, do not see what's wrong in somebody else's life. Certainly we're going to see what's wrong in other people's lives. The closer you get, the more you see. And what's amazing is we can get into church and sometimes we'll get close into church and the closer we get, the more we're like, oh, church is a bunch of hypocrites. You know what happens to a lot of us? is the more involved we get, the more that we see the shortcomings of each other. And instead of seeing the church like a hospital where we're all getting restored, we have these really high expectations that everybody is supposed to be perfect, even though we're not, even though we'll say, oh yeah, well, I'm not perfect. I hear that all the time. Well, I'm not perfect. But we've had expectations on other people to always be farther than we are. So when we get closer and closer in church, we find that people have issues. We find that people have sin. And instead of walking that out, through the prescription of scripture, forgiveness and love and serving one another and, and coming to each other in a spirit of gentleness to see res restoration, we get offended and we walk away and we go, ah, oh, the church is a bunch of hypocrites. But the reality is, is that we, we have walked away because we too haven't been careful and we too haven't been gentle and we too haven't been helpful and we haven't been mindful of our own sin. And this is what gets us into trouble. And and, and produces sin in us. I've watched so many walk away from the church because they have sin in their own lives. And when they got close enough to see it in others, it didn't meet the high, you know, unrealistic expectations that they had. And it just caused them to run. And, and I think a lot of humility 
and repentance on our own part would cause a lot of that stuff to go away. Now, we're the sin sin is we have sin, but that's our role in being the body of Christ is to help each other grow, is to help each other repent, is to help each other move beyond where we are. We're here as a hospital to help each other grow and be mended, bones to be reset, lives to be restored, legacies to live on and go farther than we have. I mean, this is really important, but he says, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've got to be willing to help each other, right? If we stop short of speaking against, this is what Jesus said. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. And in the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he starts to talk about the the eye, you know, and helping someone get, a, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log that's in your own eye? And then he says, remove the log out of your own eye. And this is the, this is the protocol that we've got to realize. We've got sin in our own lives and we can't actually help someone until we remove that and we're humble about it, not remove it like we don't have anything wrong in our life, but we're willing to see, hey, you know, I too have some things in my life. When you remove that, you're able to see, then he says, you can see clearly to help your brother or your sister. Think about that. When, you, when you're when you aware of and you, you're repentant of and you're removing of the sin in your own life, then you can see the speck of sawdust. Here's what I know though. I, there are very few people in the entire planet that I would ever let touch my eyes. I want you to think about how sensitive your eyes are for a second. I think <clears throat> Jesus used this ex- illustration and it was provocative to say the least. He's talking about the speck of sawdust. Who are you going to let touch your eyes? I mean, just think about it. I, like, I don't even like going to the eye doctor. I feel like I need to know I need to know your address. I need to know your kids. I need to know your parenting. I need to know how you treat your spouse. I need to know everything about you before you touch me. You know what I'm saying? Like the eyes are very delicate. There's some delicate things on our body and we don't just let anybody come up and, and, and touch, help us get something out of our eye. When somebody gets something out of our eye, it's usually the closest people to us. When Jesus says for us that we're not actually able to effectively help others remove what's in their eye until we're dealing with our own issues. This is what it means to be careful. And also I would say, we've gotta be willing to help, but we should be willing to help because we know that God is helping us. We know other people have helped us. And this is our lot in life as it pertains to the church. Church life would be so much better if we saw each other the right way. And I think this is part of of how this could work. Number five, we must remember And he goes on to say this, and I'm just talking about remembering um, how God deals with things, and we, we need to be sure of it. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself. Each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Now listen to this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For a proper time, we will reap. This is what I would say. Sowing and reaping is a part of God's discipline in our lives. Whatever we sow will eventually grow. I want you to say that with me. Whatever we sow will eventually grow. God is not mocked. If we sow to the flesh, and when somebody comes to us and wants to help us with something, regardless, right? and we're unwilling to see that, 
What we sow to the flesh, if we're stubborn in that, we will reap destruction. Here's the other part of it, though, that's not negative, that's powerful. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. We will see a reaping as a result of that. So what we want to do is we want to remove the sowing to the flesh, and we've got to stomp out those seeds before they become they come up out of the ground. Recently, we've been working in our yard, and on the side of our house, we have this utility shed. And I've never seen these weeds before, but they're weeds that look like little branches of a tree. I, I don't know what they're called. Some of you know what they are, but they actually have roots that are connected to another one and they pop out of the ground and they look like mini trees that come out of the ground. I've never seen them. Where I came from, I, we moved down here nine months ago. I've never seen anything like it up north, but down south here, they're there and they got little, the little roots connect all over and there's, there's 50 of them. And these things, uh, the roots just connect to the other. So you got to kind of pull them out and get them, get them dealt with. The thing is, is these things grow and grow and grow and you can rip them out. But if you don't get all the roots out, they keep coming up, right? And so what you learn is, is that to uproot those things, to deal with those things, right? You have to do it in such a way and carefully so that they die. Now, what I did is I bought some stuff called crossbow at the store. If you're interested in getting rid of your weeds, you go buy this stuff called crossbow and you put on a mask and you put on some gloves. Yeah, horsetails, Matt, that's what they are. You, you go ahead and deal with those things. Get some crossbow in your life, okay? And you put that, you mix that stuff properly the way that it says, get on a mask, get on some gloves, and that stuff ain't never coming back. It, it'll be two years before those horsetails come back up. Foxtails, those, those are, that's some nasty stuff. I don't even know if it should be legal. But anyways, that's not my point. My point is, is there are things that grow in our lives that we want to uproot. And to do that, we have to do it carefully. And we often need some help. I had to go get some other stuff to help me kill these things. Um, in our yard because they just keep coming. I'm putting gravel over them. But we know this, whatever we sow will grow. And I believe that the church is a place where we can help each other deal with our failings, our shortcomings, and our sin so that we can grow. The vision of the church is not a place where we judge each other. But you know what? Sometimes it can feel like that. Because if you go hang out with people that aren't interested in growing spiritually, they're not interested in going after the things of God. I've had people over the years say, you know, when I hang out with my worldly friends, my non-Christian friends, they don't judge me. Um, it reminds you of Cheers. You remember the show Cheers, like where everybody knows your name and yeah, everybody's drinking liquor and having a great time and going home to their problems. They're drowning it in alcohol. <laughs> Nobody's going to judge anybody. They're just trying to numb their pain. Of course, if you hang out with people that are not interested in following someone else, the Lord, they're not interested in growing, you're going to have some serious issues with all of that. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you can go, you can find a lot of people that are not interested in helping anybody grow, but just have a party, have a good time. And, and, and that's what it, and that's what that is. But if you come to the church, we're here to help each other grow. Jesus is our example. We're all trying to follow him. But what we can't do is we can't become stumbling blocks to one another. We've got to become gentle, kind, loving, patient, members of the same body. We're a family. And we're here not to be judgmental, but certainly nudgmental. Amen. We want to help each other grow. And I think that it starts with each of us having the right heart. This isn't what Paul said, but I would say to all of us that when our heart is in a place where we desire to grow, let's not get offended by each other. 
But when we see others that are caught in a trespass or a sin or a difficulty, let's have a heart to see them restored. And not because they're, they're, we're the haves and they're the have-nots, but because we're a family. And if somebody's struggling today, it might be us tomorrow. And so if that's the case, how would we speak to someone? How would we help someone if, in fact, we were the person tomorrow that needed to be helped, right? It's that we're careful, we're gentle, and we're, we're understanding who we are. We're understanding that we're all in this together and every person matters. We want every person to reach their potential. So I'm just encouraged today that to just continue to develop a version of the church that looks more and more like how Jesus wants us to be. Um, and I think, you know, there are, there are times where I've sought to help people and they're just irrational and they're um, unrepentant and they're judgmental and they won't listen. I pray that they come out of that. Sometimes there's deception and delusion. And so, you know, they, they think that everybody's wrong but them and they just won't listen. You know, and that's where it gets tough. That's where it gets really hard. I've, I've had some of that stuff in my life as a pastor, you know, and, and I think that um, regardless of the things that haven't panned out or worked out, we've got to continue to put our, put our best foot forward and seek to, uh, seek to do what we believe Jesus has called us to do and uh, believe for a beautiful bride that he calls the church. As we do that, I think we're a shining example of what the world wants and needs as a family of God that everyone is invited into. I think it's important that we remember that we're inviting people into something um, called family that they can feel safe, you know, they can feel cared for, that they won't worry about getting beat up. Certainly we'll be careful and we'll handle things in, a, in situations in a way that are, are proper and in keeping with scripture and, and growth and development. But I think we can't kick people when they're down either. And we've got to be careful that we're not creating more sin on top of that which we're already dealing with. So I want to encourage you today to just consider your example, consider your own heart, and also consider how you see and treat and restore others. Let's pray into that today as we close our time. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your church. Thank you, Lord, that we're a part of it. I pray for every person on this live stream right now, Lord, that you would give us your heart and how we deal with one another, how we see one another, how we deal with sin. When we see the things that are clearly wrong in our lives, that are clearly sin around us, Lord, we get that information not to expose, not to put down, not to label, but to help, to mend, to restore, to make wrong things right. Lord, it's such a privilege that you would use us to restore each other. And I pray we would do so with gentleness, with a heart to help. And Lord, with such a, a careful way, with patience in our hearts, this understanding there's a process to be had. And I thank you, Lord, that we could be the kind of hospital where people are all in different places. Some there's emergency rooms, some there's physical therapy, some are being trained to be doctors and nurses that that the church is a hospital in, in every facet of a regional hospital, that we're all in different places. And I just pray during this time where we're the church scattered, that you would continue to minister to our hearts, that when we come back together, Lord, there would just be such a profound difference that we would desire to be with each other. We would desire to be gracious to each other and to grow together. And I thank you for everybody that's tuning in today. God, right now, I just pray for healing over our physical bodies in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for your healing touch. You're the great physician. You're the one that brings healing to our bodies. And Lord, I specifically pray 
over, I just sense like symptoms of cancer and you're concerned about that today. I pray God right now that you would heal cancer, that you would rid our bodies of any cancer in our cells. I pray also, Lord, that you would just rid us of the fear that we have, that something like that could be pending on our lives. I pray, Lord, for cleansing over our body, every cell of our body, that you would free us from the fear, free us from symptoms, and free us from any actual cancerous cells. We thank you for that right now in Jesus' mighty name. You know, I've got a picture of, uh, as I'm praying, I've got a picture of the, the state of Georgia that's in my mind. It's very clear to me right now. And I just sense that somebody has a family member in Georgia and that you're just to reach out to them and bring encouragement. I sense that they're down, they're going through something. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I just sense that you're called to reach out to them, even if the condition of your relationship isn't perfect per se, or you don't know exactly know what to say or do. But I just see that very clear right now that you have a family member in Georgia and you're just to reach out to them. And the Lord's going to use you to minister. I'm just taking a look at your hands right now. And there's just, there's healing in what God has given you. He's put things in your hands, in your care. Um, your hands being a metaphor for he's given you things that are to minister to other people. And he's going to use you in a mighty way. So Lord, I just pray over confidence today for each one of us that we would have confidence to minister in power. We would have confidence to minister healing, that we would be unashamed and unafraid to just step forward to speak up, but to do so with love and with grace. And I'm just grateful that you do use us, Lord, in so many ways. I pray that we would continue to be prepared in this season for the season that is to come, where we're going to need to run to those that need help and that we wouldn't shy away at all. We wouldn't walk away, shy away, or turn away, but we would turn towards you and to the people that you've placed in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.